Thank you for listening to the City Lights podcast. You can visit us on Sundays, 10 a.m. at 4100 20th Street in Greeley. We hope you enjoy the message. He wants to share information with us. He wants to teach us something. How many other good teachers ask questions? He wants to give revelation. He wants to reveal something about you. He wants to reveal something about himself or a situation. Ultimately, God wants to bring transformation to you, to the world around you. And then this was the fourth motive that I discovered and we talked about last week, is that sometimes, for no other reason, I believe God asks a question because he wants to cultivate friendship and intimacy with you, with us. Okay? God is crazy about relationship. He's crazy about having a personal relationship with you. I don't know what your version and your image or um, interpretation of what God is like, but I will say this. More than anything, he desires to know you. He desires to have a relationship with people. There is a, there is a, a world of lost people. This is why Jesus sent his son. This is why Jesus came and was born into this world. To, to, Jesus came to save that which was lost. He came to reconcile that which was separated. Okay, he did that for you. He did that for me. And so, for no other reason, there are a few questions in the Bible that God asks a person, and I believe he asks it that way because he wants to cultivate friendship and intimacy with that person. So we've been focusing on those questions, um, and the, the specific questions that I've been focusing on, we've been trying to focus on, are the ones that I believe that he asks, not just that person in that moment, but he actually asked all of us at one time or another. Okay. And so that's what we've been doing. John chapter 5, we're going to read uh, verse uh, 1 through 6 to start off. It says this, After this there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And there um, there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which uh, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped into the water first after the stirring of of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Now there was a certain uh, man there who had an infirmity for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been in that condition a long time, Jesus asked him, he asked him, Do you want to be made well? Do you want to be made well? The title of our message and the question that we're focusing on this week is, do you want to be made well? I'll give a a little bit of context to this situation, but um, Jesus um, went up to Jerusalem. Jewish people were commanded to go up to Jerusalem uh, for three festivals um, a year, three feasts. And um, most scholars, I would say, believe that this is the Feast of Tabernacles, so probably happened in September or October. And um, apparently, at the Pool of Bethesda, how many have ever been to Israel and have been to the Pool of Bethesda? Honestly, yeah, I have too. Okay. It, honestly, it, it, there's ruins there. They've uncovered it. It's, to me, one of the, one of the least impressive places in Israel, if I'm being honest. Um, but I actually, I actually know people, I know a pastor who went there and actually got healed at the Pool of Bethesda. Like, literally, yeah. Um, got healed of a back condition. But apparently, um, there, there's a tradition or history tells us that um, around the time of Jesus' life, when people went to this pool and, and the waters would be stirred by an angel, that's what the Bible says, that the first one to get in would be healed. And so this reputation grew. 
And then you had these sick, lame, blind people congregating there, waiting for the stirring of this water. And so, yeah, they say that this was happening around the time of Jesus, and, um, and there were certain times, and they say specifically it happened a lot around the festivals, like the, the feasts that they were supposed to go to. I think that's interesting to me because it wasn't really happening apparently before Jesus' time. It was happening during his time, and then it was happening specifically the times when Jesus, everyone was supposed to go to Jerusalem to be in Israel. I think that's kind of interesting. So, you know, the, the light of the world has come, the bread of heaven has come to the world, and every time he's in Jerusalem, some people are getting healed by this pool. I don't know. It's, it's a crazy story. A lot of people think it's a tradition or wasn't really happening, but it's an interesting story, and you have these people congregating around, and in this particular instance, they believe it was the Feast of Tabernacles. Do you want to be made well? I think this is a, this is a strange question to ask anyone who's sick. You know, do you want to be made well? It's a strange question to ask someone who has been sick for 38 years and laying by a pool that has a reputation for people getting healed, right? So you think the question would be obvious, you think the answer would be obvious, but what you'll see and what we're gonna talk about a little bit today is that for different reasons, there are people who truly don't want to be made well. Or they don't want to do what it takes to be made well. They're just comfortable and content in their situation. Pastor Bill over here, he's done a lot of counseling in his time. And people come in and they get counseling. A lot of times if you keep meeting with people over and over and over and over for a season and you find out, you know what, they're not doing anything I'm telling them to do. They're not taking any advice. They're not changing. Do you even want to be made well, you know? And sometimes counselors will find, like, I think I'm wasting my time because everything I'm saying to you, you're not doing. Do you even want to be made well? This is a good question for us. I think there's situations that probably all of us have in our lives where we, like, we have this nostalgic idea of this problem not being there, but do we really want to do what it takes to be made well? Okay? So if you're believing God for a miracle or a breakthrough in a, in a particular area, and you feel the Holy Spirit ask you this type of question. I think he asked all of us this question at one time or another. It's a penetrating question. It's a penetrating question to our heart. It reveals something about our heart. Do you want to be made well? I think God wants to maybe, if he asks you this question, you feel him asking this question, he might be trying to do a greater work in your life than just bring about the miracle or the thing that you want better. Okay? Um, I've seen and... and um, talk to healing evangelists who at times they'll ask people, um, hey, you're on disability. They've been praying for a person. If, if God healed you, would you go back to work? Would you give up that disability check and go back to work? Sometimes people say no. Sometimes they're content receiving a disability check. Now, there's nothing wrong with receiving a disability check if you're disabled, right? But, if, but I've, I've heard stories and people saying, no, I, don't, I, I, want, I like my check. I want to receive my check, and I'm completely comfortable the way I am. Okay, do you want to be made well? Some people stay in codependent and abusive relationships. Do they want to be made well? They, they're, they don't want to break out of that or do what it takes. Some people um, don't want to do what it takes to have financial discipline, to have wholeness in their finances, right? Cut up some credit cards, y'all. Uh, we all have this idea we would, you know, if we, if we could snap our fingers and have the perfect body and be healthy, like, I think we would all do that, right? But do we want to do what it takes to be healthy? Do we want to stop eating some of that crappy food, right? 
and started doing, you know, it's called motion, it's called movement, you know, it's good for you. It's good for you. Now listen, I'll say this because it's like about the time people start talking about New Year's resolutions. You can't change your body type. You are what you are. Like, I'm a runner and nothing I will do will ever make me a Kenyan. Like, <laughs> like that's, like I'm not going there. I, I will never be as fast as those guys, right? I just don't have the body type for it. But listen, I want the best version of me that I can have. And I want you guys to have the best version of you you can possibly have. So you gotta, you got to work with what God gave you. But what is the best version of what God gave you, okay? And sometimes, do you want to be made well? Do you want to, you know, have some discipline in, in these different areas? So verse, verse 6 again. Jesus asked him, do you want to be made well? Verse 7. The sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. Verse 8, Jesus said to him, Rise, take up your bed, and walk. And immediately the man was made well. He took up his bed, and he walked. That day was the Sabbath day, and the Jews therefore said to uh, him who was cured, It is the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to carry your bed. He answered them, He who made me well said to me, Take up your bed and walk. They asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? That's not what I would have asked. I would not have said, who told you to pick up your bed and walk? I, I would have said, who healed you? Right? If someone gets healed, I'd be like, how'd it happen? Tell me the story. Not, are you breaking? Listen, Jesus actually didn't, Jesus never broke the law. Okay, he, what, he, what did he do? He broke their interpretation of the law. He broke their tradition is what happened here. So carrying, the guy carrying his bed after he got healed, that wasn't work. The father didn't consider that work. But the, tra the tradition uh, and their interpretation of the law at the time, they said, you're breaking the law here. Because on the Sabbath, you were supposed to do no work. Verse 13, uh, but the one who was healed did not know who he was, for Jesus had withdrawn a multitude being in that place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, you have been, you have been made well. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. The man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. All right. Do you want to be made well? What is it in your life that you want to see changing? What is it in your life that you want to see different? Look at your neighbor. Why don't we do this little exercise? Look at your neighbor and say, do you want to, do you want to be made well? <laughs> hope they answered yes. What I hope they didn't do is, okay, give an excuse. Okay. Again, New Year's resolutions right around the corner. People are making decisions like, this is the thing I want to better. And New Year's resolutions have a high rate of failure for different reasons. One, here's one reason New Year's resolutions have a high rate of failure. And so I like to set goals and resolutions, and I keep some of them, you know. But I, I have some success in this area. I will say this. A lot of times people make too many. Like, here's my five New Year's resolutions. Honestly, change one thing. Pick one thing that you could change about you or you want to see different in this next year and focus on that. That's, that's one thing. But many times, you know, by the end of January, you see people drift from whatever the New Year's resolution, the goal is that they had. Many times they start drifting away, and by the end of January, most people have failed. They failed in keeping their New Year's resolution. And one of the reasons for that is, at the end of the day, they realized that the price of change was higher than the price of staying the same. They had a... They wanted to want something. They had a desire to desire something, but they didn't really want it to make that change, okay? 
So today, what I want to do, I want to highlight four blockages to wholeness. What are the four blockages to, uh, that prevent us from stepping in to God's wholeness in our lives? Blockage number one is environment. The environment you are in, the people that, uh, surround you, that you surround yourself with, um, can greatly influence you. Environment can greatly influence you. Many times people don't get whole because they stay in an environment or they choose not to create a new environment around themselves. Have you guys ever, um, those of you that are married or in a dating relationship or whatever, you ever just have those days where you and your spouse kind of kind of tit for tat, like argue back and forth or whatever, and it's just everyone's in a bad mood. And You know, you ever get like that? Does that ever happen? Come on. Okay. It's two honest people in this church, but pastor and a first lady. <laughs> and sometimes I'll just stop and like, what are we doing? Like, we're, we're just creating this environment in our home. And it's like, you have to make a decision sometimes. Okay, we're not doing this. We're going to have, we're going to honor one another. We're not going to do this tit for tat thing. Like, I'm going to compliment you, you know. We're going to, we're going to stop doing this. We're, we want to break out of that environment. Jesus Okay, uh, it says, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Verse, uh, verse 3, he says, And uh, the people that were in these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. Now, this in and of itself isn't bad. You have people congregating. They want to get well. They're, they're sick. They're broken. They're lame. They want to get well. And I think a lot of times that's like church. Like Jesus actually said, he didn't come for the people that were all cleaned up. He actually came for the people that were broken and lost. And so as a church, we actually want broken people to come in here. If you see some brokenness, it's all good. Like, that's what we're in the business here to do, like, right? Jesus came to give life. And so, um, which is good and well. But many times what can happen is if you get a bunch of people together who have issues, who have problems, what can happen is that hopelessness faithlessness and a victim mentality can become part of a culture, can become part of an environment, which can breed more hopelessness. And it can actually become, you get people together with the same problem, you have to watch out that it doesn't become a pity party, a woe is me party, right? Um, That's an environment. Now here uh, in the Bible, um, the word infirmity means uh, weakness, Okay, so this man, we assume he had some weakness in his legs because he couldn't get up and get into the pool fast enough. So some weakness in his legs. Um, but let me ask you a question. What happens when you surround yourself with people that all have the same weaknesses as you? Right? Do you have a, weak, do you have a weakness in your life? What happens when you get around a bunch of people who have that same weakness? You have to be careful with that because... If everyone has the same weakness, many times there's not someone who's there to pull the others up or pull you up, right? Um, it's good to surround yourself maybe with someone who had had that weakness but is on the other side in victory of that weakness. But getting a bunch of people together who are in the midst of that struggle many times can create a culture and they can, woe is me and we're all broken and it, it doesn't become an empowering culture. Um, I've been pastoring uh, 11 years now. I've been in full-time ministry for 11 years, and it, ama- <laughs> it amazes me when you find out, like, you know, someone has this issue, and then someone over here with this issue. It amazes me how they end up just finding each other. 
It's like, you were sitting over here, you were sitting over here, and now you're sitting together. How'd you get, how'd you find each other? It's like, the gossipers always find each other. The negative people always find each other, right? The people who deal with lust always find each other. The people who are always partying, they find each other. I don't know why, if there's like a sign on people or something. <laughs> but we have to be careful of that. Um, because if we want to get free, we have to be careful about be, being around people that have the same issue as us. Because there's no external influence. This, for this reason, uh, many times um, you have poor regions of the world or poor regions of the United States. Um, and people who are born into that environment, they're born poor. A lot of times they stay poor. Why? They, that's their environment. That's what they were taught. That's what they're used to. And um, for people who are born in middle class, blue collar, that's, there's a blue collar mentality. You, you work hard and, you know, you do work and you go hard, but you don't think, um, you're not thinking upper class. You're not thinking like royalty necessarily. And there's an upper class mentality, right? You're born into upper class. And listen, many times those people who are born into a little bit of privilege, they stay in privilege. And it, listen, yes, there's an advantage there. There's some money there. But the, I would say the main reason that people who are born in privilege stay in privilege is not because of the money. It's because of a mindset that they were raised with. They see how people manage money. They see how people believe that life can be better for them. That's a mentality that they have. They were in an environment that they had, and they carry that through their life. You, I, think you could take, I think you could take all the money away from all the rich people in the world, and most of the time, I think those people would end up rich again because they have a different mentality. Why? There's an environment that they understand. They create an environment around themselves. Okay, so um, uh, low-income areas, many times, if you have just this uh, low-income housing, it's one area, that you, they have to be careful there because those areas can become ghettos. They can just become ran down again. There's the issues that come along with people who are in poverty a lot of times, and that's why a lot of people advocate for mixed-income areas. So instead of having just one low-income area where everyone goes and that area can become run down, they take low-income housing and mix it in with all different um, levels of housing, and that tends to keep culture from, from declining in that area, okay? Why? It's a, men it's a mentality, it's an environment that people create around them, okay? So watch out for your environment. Be willing to create a new environment around yourself, okay? Watch relationships, watch your home. Like, this is why, with our kids, we want to do things with excellence. We want to keep a nice home. We want to do things that um, cause them to want to take risks and to, and to um, you know, be people who take risks and, and to step out and to do things by faith. Amen? Okay. So watch your environment. That's, that's um, number one blockage. Number, sec, uh, number two blockage to wholeness is excuses. Now, we, we, lots of us, we come with all kinds of excuses for why we're different and why this thing won't work on us. Jesus asked the man, do you want to be made well? Verse 7 says, the sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred, but while I'm coming, another steps down before me. I don't know about you, but if Jesus asked me, do you want to be made well? I think a good answer is yes. <laughs> Just yes. But he had, he had an excuse. I, I don't know. I mean, maybe it's a valid excuse. His legs didn't work very well, but 38 years. He's, and then he's by this pool, which you know, he, I think he knew, the, he knew the routine, and he'd seen people be healed, right? When the water was stirred and people jumped in. He's hanging out by, I mean, I would get my, my mat, like, right up against the edge. And I'd be waiting, you know, around the feast. 
And then the water's stirred. All you gotta do is roll over and you just fall right in, right? I don't know how hard that is. But here's what I think. Maybe this man, he was a, a few steps, he was a few steps back, right? And he had his people. He had his culture. He had the, you know, he was hanging out there and he had his handouts from people that handed out to the poor and that kind of stuff. And I think he had some excuses. But more applicable, how many times do we have excuses to not change? Okay. Basically, this guy said this, it's not my fault. Someone else steps down before me. It's not my fault. It's someone else's fault. And I think this is one of the top reasons why we stay in, the, in the, the state that we are and we don't change because we blame other people. It's not my fault. It's their fault. It's, it's not my fault. It's my ex's fault. It's my boss's fault. Right? It's my parents' fault. It's someone else's fault. Right? That, now, right there is a recipe to stay the same if you're just blaming other people and you have excuses. And listen, <clears throat> I don't doubt that someone has crossed you in your life, someone has conned you, or someone has abused you. I don't doubt that at all. Jesus said this in, in John 16, 33. Jesus said, in this life, you will have trouble. You will have trouble. We will all have trouble. We will all have circumstances, right? <clears throat> but Jesus said this, in this life, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And then what I want to say about that is, if Jesus overcame the world, then there should be nothing in the world that can prevent you from being and doing everything that God has called you to be and do. If Jesus overcame the world, there should be nothing to stop you from being everything God has called you to be. I don't care who abused you. I don't care who stole from you. I don't care who broke your heart. You can do and be everything God has called you to do. Amen? So do you want to be a whole? Stop blaming other people. Stop making excuses. Okay, it's a good word for all of us. Okay, that's point number two. Point number three, blockages to wholeness is effort. Or in this case, the lack thereof. Uh, let me ask you a question. If God required you to make, this man didn't really have to do a lot of effort when Jesus healed him. And there were a lot of situations where people, you know, uh, Jesus came to them and they didn't have to do anything, really. Some people actually had great faith. There's, there's some situations like that. And some people just didn't really do anything. In this case, um, Jesus, Jesus asked the man, do you want to be healed? And he asked him actually to put forth some effort. I mean, he... He didn't put forth effort to get healed, but then right away he asked him to put forth effort. And it's, it's, watch this. He says this, uh, verse, verse 5, uh, I'm sorry, chapter 5, verse 8, he said, to them, he said to him, rise, take up your bed, and walk. Okay, let me rephrase that. Jesus told the man, do something impossible. Do something you can't do. He took, he took a man who's like, you can't even walk. And now he's like, now stand up and pick up your bed and walk. Right? Not only am I telling you to stand, I'm telling you to stand and carry something with you. He told him to extend a little bit of effort. Okay? Uh, this happens a lot in the Bible. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, uh, Matthew 12, 13, he says, Jesus said, stretch out your hand. Right? He asked him to do something. So there's a, there was an action connected to the breakthrough. There's an action connected to the miracle. And this is totally true. This will happen many times in our lives where God wants to bring a breakthrough in our lives and there's an action on our part connected to the breakthrough. Okay, remember Jesus, um, this is after his um, resurrection, before his ascension, he went to the disciples. They'd been fishing all night. They'd caught nothing. And then he, he calls out to them. He's like, hey, have you caught anything? And they're like, no, we caught nothing all night. And then he said something that's ridiculous. Throw your net on the other side of the boat. Yeah. You know, 
I don't know about you, but there wasn't like a magic divider underneath the boat where there were fish on one side and not on the other. But they did it. They're like, yeah, sure. It hasn't worked all night. Let's throw the net on this side of the boat. And then it caught tons of fish. Almost broke the nets, right? And that started breaking. Okay, there was a, what? There was an action connected to that breakthrough. Um, Elisha told Naaman the leper, he's like, you want to be healed? Go dip seven times in the Jordan River. Go dip yourself in that muddy water or seven times in that, in that Jordan River. And Naaman was like, why go dip in that dirty, muddy Jordan River? I've got better rivers where I'm from. Why didn't he tell me to do that? He was mad. He was ready to go home. And the people with him convinced him, like, listen, just try it. You know, what do you got to lose? Just go, just go dip in the Jordan River. Okay, so you got punked. Big deal. You know, you go home wet. That's the worst that can happen, you know. The guy dips himself seven times. There's an action connected to the breakthrough, and he gets healed. He gets healed of leprosy. Um, Elijah told uh, Jehoash, the king of Israel, before he had died, he, went, um, he goes to Elijah. Elijah said, take some, some arrows in your hand. And he's like, I want you to strike the ground. And so the guy, he strikes the ground three times. And Elijah got mad at him. And he's like, you should have struck the ground five or six times. Your enemies would have been completely defeated before you. But since you only struck the ground three times, you're only going to have three victories over your enemy. And they're not going to be completely destroyed from you. It's like, what? <laughs> you know, imagine if I come to you and like, you, you want to get healed of something. I'm like, bounce this ball. <laughs> and you bounce the ball once. And I'm like, you should have bounced the ball five or six times. And you would have gotten healed. But since you only bounced the ball once... God will hear your toe, but that's it, you know. <laughs> that sounds stupid, right? It sounds stupid, but sometimes there is an action connected to the breakthrough, the miracle, right? When Matt and Jory were moving, they were praying about moving to Bethel to go to school. Um, they had to kind of put out some fleeces. They had to, you know, they had to apply. Can we get in the school, right? They had to try to raise some money. They had to see if, like, like, they have people that they're renting a, you know, renting a house from who, who bought a house out there so that they could rent it from them. Like, there were the, they had to try, they had to take steps to see, God, are you in this? And many times, listen, if you're just sitting still and you're believing for something from God, many times God will say, hey, take this one step. Now take this step. And there's an action connected to the breakthrough. Um, <clears throat> when I was um, 15 years old, I... Um, I grew up, and I found out I had asthma when I was, like, uh, probably six years old. Really bad asthma. Like, I had been hospitalized several times from asthma attacks. And I had this, I had this thing in my mind. I don't know why. I knew that when I was 15 years old, I, I wouldn't have asthma anymore. I would be healed of asthma. And um, I don't know if I've told this story before, but um, I had a friend who, he, he asked me, he's like, he also had asthma, and he said, hey, do you take your inhaler every time you have, like, a little, like, wheeziness? And I'm like, yeah, I usually do. And he's like, I only take my inhaler when I, like, I'm having an asthma attack, like a bad asthma attack. And I was like, okay, well, you know, kind of planted the seed in my mind. I was like, maybe I shouldn't take it every single time I just have, like, a little wheeze. Maybe I'll just, I'll take it if I have a big one, right, a big asthma attack. And um, some time went by, and I wasn't really having asthma attacks, so I wasn't taking my inhaler. And then I rode my bike from... Um, Whatever, I went for a long bike ride. And um, I, at that time, I was kind of having a bad asthma attack. But it had been about a month since I'd taken my inhaler. And I actually, 
I actually was like, you know what? I haven't taken my inhaler in a long time. I'm going to like fight through this one, see if I can get my lungs to open up and relax without taking my inhaler. So I stopped, pulled over on my bike, and just kind of rested for a little bit. And I was trying not to take it. And it finally went away. And I never took an inhaler after that day. Like, I never needed it after that day. And I didn't even know, like, and by the way, I'm not saying do this. Like, you need your inhaler, you take it. <laughs> okay, you, need, you have medicine, you take it. <laughs> okay, your doctor can tell you to stop. I'm not a doctor, okay? So I want to make that clear. But I knew for me, there was just something in me that was like, something about me has to resist this a little bit and just say, no, I'm not going like, to give in every single time and, and like, use this medicine. And for me, there was, like, there was a breakthrough that happened when I was 15, and all of a sudden, boom, I never needed an inhaler. I don't have asthma. I, I could spend... 12 hours in the backwoods running in the mountains and never need anything. I never have any wheeziness since the age of 15. So what was my point? There was, at that time, for me, there was, a, there was a connection to an action for the breakthrough in my life. Okay, It'll be the same with you in many situations. When we did a study last year on, on the word praise, there's, uh, what, how many words for praise are there in the Bible? So many. So many. Like at least seven. <laughs> Seven good ones, Greg says. I don't know what the bad ones are, but <laughs> there's these different words for praise, and they all mean something like praising the Lord with a shout, with lifting your hands, with a dance, by laying, you know, uh, before the Lord. There's, there's, I don't know if you know this, but praising the Lord involves an action. That's why a lot of people lift their hands, and they sing, and they shout, and they dance. It's not because we're weirdos. It's because we're actually obeying what the Bible says about praise, Right? <laughs> And sometimes people come into an environment like this where we're, you know, we, we, uh, we're expressive. We're expressive about our worship, and they're kind of, like, uncomfortable, you know, about that. And if you're new, that's fine. But I want to encourage you, if you've never lifted your hands, you might try a little, you know, a little palm up right here. <laughs> Just a little palm up right there, you know. Or uh, go here, you know, work your way to here. And then pretty soon, you're going to be full, full extension clean and jerk, right? Okay. <laughs> I, I don't know. I remember in my life, I, I would never really praise the Lord, but I was a, a young man, and I remember I went to an all-night prayer meeting at uh, Assemblies of God Church in Brighton, Colorado, and <clears throat> there was this all-night prayer meeting, and I had never really been expressive about my worship or whatever, and I decided, like, there's just guys, it's a guys' prayer meeting, it was all night. It's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to praise the Lord and run. So I was like running Lifting my hands and praising the Lord. And I know, I know that I look stupid. I know that. I'm well aware that I look stupid. But there was something that broke in my heart. Like broke something open in my heart. And so praise many times is connected to an action. Okay? The Bible says that that man had been there a long time. And I wonder, did he get comfortable in his weakness? So do you want to be made whole? You might need to apply some effort. Maybe you have some type of an addiction in your life. If you have a pornography addiction, maybe the effort for you, you, could, you hear the Lord nudging you, you need to go get some accountability. You need to go tell another man or woman this. Well, if you're a woman, tell a woman. If you're a man, tell a man. I'm not saying if you're a guy, tell a girl. Don't do that. That's weird. Okay. <laughs> Just keep it real. Just keep it, keep them, got to keep them separated, you know. <laughs> Next week, men on this side, women on that side. Okay, Good. Good. That was my segue. That was my segue to our new, our new thing that we're doing here. <laughs> anyway, anyway, 
God might be saying, hey, get, get a software accountability program, invite another guy into this fight with you. Like, what is that? There's an action there. There's an act of humility. Say, I have a, I have a weakness, right? I need some help with this weakness. I'm going to invite someone else to help me in this weakness, okay? There's an, but many times, you're not going to get free until you make that step of action, okay? Okay, so that's number three. Point number four, and the last one we're going to talk about is error. Now, I wanted to put the word transgression or sin here, but I needed another E word. So, because we've got, you know, all the other words so far with E's. So, error is the word I'm going to. Okay. Blockages to wholeness. Sometimes it is that you're in error, you're in sin, you're in transgression. Jesus said this, John chapter 5, verse 14. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you have been made well, sin no more, lest the worst thing come upon you. Now, what some have done to this scripture here and, and a couple others w- that I don't do, they make a whole doctrine out of this. And they'll just say, any sickness that happens to you, it's the result of you did something wrong. There's a sin that you did. And I don't believe that. I don't think that's true. And I think that's actually cruel to do to a lot of people if they're, if they're a sinner. They're in a wheelchair and it's like, well, clearly you're a sinner, you know. Um, and, but and actually in Jesus' day, this was like a common thing that people thought. In fact, when Jesus um, was going to heal a blind man, his disciples asked, they said, hey, Jesus, who sinned? Was it this guy? Did he sin or did his parents sin? How did he get blind? And Jesus' answer was like, neither. Neither of them sinned. No one sinned here. He's blind, you know. So sometimes, um, not every time, for sure, not every time is is sickness a result of a sin. Uh, In Luke chapter 13, um, Jesus was talking about a story of the the Tower of Siloam that fell on some, like, killed 18 people. Jesus asked the question, he said, were these people worse sinners than all the other people in Jerusalem at that time? Is that why they died? They were worse sinners, you know? Jesus said, no, it's not because they're worse sinners. Like, sometimes bad things just happen. You know, there's a natural disaster in one part of the world. A lot of times our thinking is like, well, clearly those people over there are worse than us, right? Okay, so it's not always the result. Um, sickness is not always the result of sin, and certainly natural disasters, same thing. However, I do, I do believe that many times if we have a weakness in our life, the root of that can be sin. Sometimes sin can actually open a door for things to come into our lives, for weakness to come into our lives. And so we do have to watch that. Um, This particular case, because of the way Jesus highlighted it, he said to this man, do you want to be made well? And I think Jesus was maybe begging the question here, do you want to be made well? Because there was a root in this man's life. And we know there was something because Jesus asked him, um, go and sin no more is basically what he said. In this particular case, sin was the root that opened the door for an infirmity to come, uh, to come into his life. And Jesus basically said to the guy, hey, you're healed. Don't go back to that way of thinking. Don't go back to that lifestyle. Okay? And so maybe there are some people here, you need to close the door on some things so that you can get free of some things. If there's a, a weakness in your life, right? Maybe you have a weakness in an area. Is it possible? And I'm not up here trying to be Holy Spirit. If Holy Spirit's highlighting something to you, is it possible that there's an open door that God wants to close, and it's rooted in something that you're not repenting of, okay? And that's important to say. I think it's important to know the the difference there. Um, Maybe it was unforgiveness. Um, The Bible says that bitterness rots the bones. Many times inflammatory diseases can be related to people who have bitterness and unforgiveness in their hearts. Um, 
And I think that's why Jesus asked this man if he wants to be whole. There was some kind of um, unrepentant sin in his life. Okay, so, do you want to be made well? Do you have a weakness? Do you have a physical weakness? Do you have an emotional weakness? Do you have a mental, financial, spiritual, or relational weakness in your life? I'm going to ask, I'll ask four questions and then we'll close. First one, we'll talk about environment. Ask yourself this question. Is my environment, my surroundings, my relationships preventing me from stepping into wholeness? Are there some relationships? Are there, is there a situation, is there an environment you're in that's preventing you from stepping into all God has for you? Um, if you have a struggle with alcohol, you're currently struggling with alcoholism, the bar is not a good place for you, in that, you know, at that time. You, know, you want to get on the other side of victory for a while before you, you know, expose yourself to those kind of people. Your environment, it can hinder you, but your environment can actually propel you as well. Okay, so with that, let's, let's flip it. Let's say, maybe you need to get in some good environments, like here. I came to church today, and I was like, I need worship today. I need praise today. Like, I needed this for, for me, you know. Uh, small groups, uh, we city groups that we have here, those, that's a good environment for people to get whole and healthy, okay? Um, people, again, I'll, I'm on a tangent today, apparently. Uh, people who want to get healthy, you know, um, a lot of people will buy an exercise equipment, and it'll go in their basement, and they get home from work, and I think a lot of times your home is the worst place to try to work out because it's your place of rest. It's your place of refuge, right? This is why for people who are trying to get a new habit going, I say go get a gym membership. You need to go somewhere where people have this culture, right? You're trying to develop a new culture. You're trying to develop a new habit. Surround yourself with people that are already doing it, right? The gym is a good place for that. Okay, so environment, number one. Number two, excuses. What are, ask yourself this question, what are the excuses that are keeping you from moving forward? Okay. Um, what are the excuses? I remember before we planted this church, before we actually got in full-time ministry in the first place, I had this question, what if, what if we fail? What if it doesn't work? You know, that was my excuse. What if it doesn't work out? What if everything, you know? And then I had to just wake up one morning and, and just come to this place where it's like, I'd rather try and fail. I'd rather try it. I'd rather take a risk and fail than never try at all. Okay, what is, what is the, and listen, it's okay to fail. Try some stuff, fail. It's, if you're not failing, you're not trying anything, right? We ought to all be failing every once in a while. Like failure is not the worst option here, you know? But if you're trying new things you're, and you're failing, that's okay. You're doing new things. You're trying to do something new. It's, it's a really good thing, okay? So excuses. What are the excuses that are floating? Um, They're keeping you in the same place. Okay, number, th- number three, effort. Ask this question, where do I need to apply effort to see God's best in my life? Are there some areas you have to stretch out your hand, throw the net on the other side, bounce the ball more than once? I don't know. Okay. (laughs) All right. Number three, error. What sin or transgression do you need to repent and turn away from to get um, to see God's flow of power in your life? Okay. Maybe it's unforgiveness. Maybe for you it's regret. Listen, regret is a thief. Like, you can actually, that's actually, I think that's actually sin. Like, you live in regret. You're not living in what Jesus did for you. You're not living in the fullness of what the blood provided for you. Regret. Self-pity. Sexual sin. Drunkenness. Whatever it is, I'm not the Holy Spirit again, but maybe God's highlighting something to you. He's like, hey, it's time. You need to close the door on this thing so that you can step into the fullness that God has for you. Thanks again for tuning into the City Lights podcast. 
We appreciate your support, and we'd love to fellowship with you. You can visit us on Sundays, 10 a.m. at 4100 20th Street in Greeley. Be sure to check out our website at citylights.church, where you can submit prayer requests, receive info on special events, and find our social media links. We're glad you could join us, and we hope you have a blessed week.